Hey there, baseball and barbecue fans. This is Chef Ray Sheehan, and you're listening to the number one rated baseball and barbecue podcast in the nation, hosted by my good friends, Leonard Hollywood Aberman and Jeff the Old Coot Cohen. So pour yourself a cold one and fire up the pit or grab a snack and sit back. Either way, I'm sure you'll enjoy the show. Studios of baseball and BBQ on Long Island, New York. And then I know we really don't say Long Island, they can tell it on our voices. This is episode number 225. I'm Jeff the Oku Cohen, and that over there is Leonard Hollywood Aberman. We welcome you back to our show, Leonard. Jeff, hello. You know, in numbers, 225 is kind of you know, that's a that's a good number, 225. It's not going to Kansas City to celebrate a big episode number, but it's 225. And in podcasting, I think that's probably a big number, too. So we better come up with a big episode. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. What do we got? We've got a gold card carrying member. Jeff, oh. gold card. And I'm not talking about like some, uh, you know, fancy stockbroker on Wall Street. Right. I'm talking about a, a recently retired baseball player. Who is that? That is Trevor May. Jeff, you know what I loved about the Trevor interview? What's that? Was things that I had never known about. Uh-huh. I, I mean, he talked about Tommy John surgery. He talked about a gold card. That, I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to know about that. He is very, very open. Just yeah. very open, very genuine. Yeah. And then we've got a barbecue guest. And that is Charlie McKenna is a world champion barbecue pitmaster, two-time, two-time winner, I believe, of Memphis in May. That's right. That's big. And I owns restaurants and, and anyway. has a concession where at Wrigley Field. Oh, yes. That's the most important one, right? That's right. <laughs> yes, he does. And here's something pretty important. And that is that Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or from your mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team. And remember, use your promo code BELIEVE. That's B L E A V for 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, it is where the game starts. So, how will we be starting, Leonard? Let's get right to a great interview with Trevor May. 
Baseball and BBQ is proud to have with us a recently retired Major League pitcher. Originally drafted by the Phillies in the fourth round of the 2008 Major League Draft, he spent nine seasons in Major League Baseball with the Twins, Mets, and the Oakland A's. But he's more than just a baseball pitcher. He's an avid interest in electronic music. He streams on Twitch, a gaming tournament organizer and commentator. And he has a newsletter which you can subscribe to called The May Day Report, which has a lot of interesting information in it. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Trevor May. Welcome, Trevor. Welcome, Trevor. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Trevor, I'm going to kick it off. Uh, I'm going to ask you, would you like it if I called you Lurch? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while, actually. No one's no one's called me that in a long time. So but, kind of sad. But, I'm kind of sad it's gone. Uh, that's <laughs> I was glad when I heard you you uh you you wanted to be called Lurch. I like yeah. that. You you like nicknames. I do, I do like the name. I had that one, and uh when I was in my teens, my teammates called me Marmaduke. Marmaduke. Uh, that was my other one. Well, okay. So why why Marmaduke? Big Great Dane flopping around. I was just the biggest guy on my team all the time, and uh, it grew very, very quickly and didn't fill out until I was playing pro ball. So I wasn't like skinny, skinny. Like, mm-hmm. I weighed 210 pounds when I was drafted, but right. uh, I was six foot five. I just, I just looked a lot skinnier than I was. And then, you know, I turned 21, and we know how that I had some money right. burning holes in my pocket, and I was able to drink. <laughs> so that's when I put on my weight. <laughs> well, Nicknames. So Jeff is his nickname is Old Coot, right? And my nickname is Hollywood. Love that. <laughs> so so we right. and and Jeff is nicknamed Old Coot because he is uh he he likes the you know the old baseball ways you know yes. the, the way baseball yeah. was played. I I think in the seventies. Well, right? you know when you grow up in the seventies, that's what you like. What are you going to do? I know, <laughs> I, I know the game has changed, and obviously you know as well too. The evaluate evolving of the game, so you know that happens. But uh, Trevor, I want to ask you. Uh, you know, you're only 34 years old, and, and you just retired. Why retire now when you know pitching is really needed in, in baseball? I think it comes down to I've been trying to figure out good ways to explain. But yeah, pitching's needed around baseball. But uh, I think I realized that I don't need pitching, <laughs> and that's that's kind of what uh, that's kind of what happened. I mean, it, it's it's a, a bunch of bunch of forces at play uh with family and and you know i from the northwest i haven't got to really spend any time up here in the summers and we my wife and i have like a we we don't really want to do children until the game just it got to a point where i was we were a little older and uh Mm -hmm. so if we do have kids when we're playing they're probably going to be very young and they're not going to remember and it's just going to be really hard to play (laughs) with Mm -hmm. young kids Mm -hmm. so like we kind of miss that boat and uh that's something we want to do rather sooner rather than later and you know at some point uh, it always comes down to and i think this is true for any job or any uh, anyone's career you just with if it's a means to an end if you're gonna have to do something else at some point which that is baseball you have to if determining when that is gets a little can get a little bit tricky and sometimes it's pension related but you know, with the way that money works these days, the pension became it was a big, big thing when I got I was like, oh, got to get this 10 year pension and w- which is amazing. It really is great. I'm not taking anything away from it, but, it, you know, it's not something you can bank on the way that we thought. I thought you could bank on it when you were when I was 24. Uh, it's just not, you know, in 30 years, who knows? So like playing another year for that didn't really do anything for me. So it just came down to am I enjoying playing um, and, and, you know, how is my body feeling and and what? signals do i want 
that it's the end. Uh, like what, what am I listening to? And everyone has a different, and I just had the feeling one day in, in April or in May, where I was just like, this is probably the last one. I don't want to do this anymore. And I had to find a way to get through it. But, uh, I, it, it got from, it went from getting through it to, to thriving and really having a good time, just kind of being okay with what was happening and what was going on and, and really enjoying being around like a t- team that was 23 years old on average. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was, it was really fun being the guy, the old, the old head to the guy 10 uh-huh. years older than everybody else. It was really fun. I really did enjoy that. Oh, cool. It's funny when, uh, as you're saying that I like, I got this question to go with. So you did go out on top. You were with Oakland. It was your last year. Mm-hmm. So many questions about the A's. We know what, you know, the season was as far as with their, their move and the fans, the fans, the fans weren't going to the game. And then they were like, well, we're going to all go to a we'll game. Show you. Crazy. But we'll you show went you. It's out not about top. that. It's about, you know, you, it's about the product, not about the our ability to go. Right. Yeah. Like you can't expect us to go when the team's like this, which I don't blame them. Right. 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 I got you. But you, your career, this was, would you say that this year with Oakland was your best year? I would say um, at, at, in terms of like three, four month stretches by far, um, by far the best. I think I gave up four runs in the second half and three of them were in one outing. I would say that's how I wanted to finish. You know, 15 straight scoreless to end your career. I don't think it gets much better than that. So I will, you know, it comes down to it. You just want to do your job well and do it, do it the best your ability every single time to take your ball. And I, I can honestly say at least for the last 35, 40 outings there, that that was true. I did gave it. I had, I had everything, gave everything I had. Even I had two or three clunkers on the year. And even then I was given the best thing I had. I just had nothing those days. So um, I'm proud of that. That was something that I hung my head, hat on and, and, I always believed that I could rattle off two months without giving up a run. Like I always believed that was in me. I just had this, like I had this weird thing where I, I, where I, if I don't struggle, I don't see a big something to work on. So I'm, I'm like the fuel for the game for playing for me was getting better. And when you're pitching really, really well, you've kind of figured it out and you kind of feel like, okay, this is, this is me playing as well as I can. Then you kind of, that sounds wonderful. And then two weeks later, you're like, well, then it's just the same day over and over again. This is I'm bored. I like I need something else to to get because I'm at the top of the game. Like not that not that I'm I can't get any better, but it's like it's diminishing returns at that point. So you're like the time I'm spending to get better. I'm getting little. So like it's weird. My whole career, I kind of subconsciously had these like stretches, two, three, four outings in a row where I give up seven runs or something. And then I had to work out of that. So that's why I always finished the year really strong because I had something to to like right. contrast it with, with because it's just the way that I am. It's just I'm always going for a new thing. You listed, you listed like ten percent of the things I've done over the last sixteen years off the field, and now that I'm retired, it's even worse, guys. It's getting worse. The list is getting longer somehow. I don't know how I keep doing this, but it's just the way I am. Well, you yeah. could you, one item that you could cross off. I know it was at towards the top of the list was appearing on the baseball and barbecue podcast. <laughs> yeah, so now you it now off. at least that's something. Although. And maybe you want to come back. We, we'll see. But yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's let's talk about I, we're not going to talk about Oakland yet. You know, I want to ask yeah. you, you, you had Tommy John surgery. We hear a lot about pitchers now. Tommy John surgery. It, they compare uh, Tommy John surgery. It's almost like with open heart surgery, like when people go in for bypasses now, they say, yeah. oh, it's not a big deal. They're they're having a bypass, you know, right. It's a tune up. Yeah. But 
and and they were like, oh, Tommy John, they'll they'll bounce back. And but when you're going through it, how do you feel when you're going through? Do you really feel like you're just going to bounce back? And and what's the recovery like? I, I always wanted to ask somebody who actually went through it. What what is it like when you realize you need it and then the long recovery period? Because even if you do bounce back, it's it's a long recovery period. Take us through that if you if you don't mind. Yeah. Um finding out like when you know so that's the biggest thing i think we call it <laughs> around baseball i call it blowing out so guys are like if it's gonna go let it go right they, they say those things some guys are okay with it they go pitch like that and they're just like if the timing's bad whatever and then there's guys who think about it fairly regularly even though they never had surgery and it's just a it's one of those weird things that's always kind of looming if you never had it but it's even looming when you've had it so it becomes kind of normal, but it is devastating losing the entire year. So I had mine in, in spring training, which is just, you're done. But, but I would, I would also say that that might be the best case scenario because you get to come back in the middle of the year, the next year, or like at some point, and then get kind of that rust off with a season, as opposed to like mm -hmm. being ready to play in games in October and there's no games to play. And then you got to wait, and then you got to get going. It's, it's just, it's a nightmare. So um, that was good. But you get it was devastating. Mine, fortunately, my uh, when they went, I went and got my MRI. Like I thought, I pulled a tricep or something because I don't, I don't know what it feels like. No one knows what it feels like because guys have talked about how their elbows like swells up and how like you can see physically. I didn't have any of that, but I did know touching it was horrible. And I was like, "There's something seriously wrong with me." Hopefully, hopefully it's quick if I know what it is. And uh, I got my MRI, and they looked, and they're like, "That thing's gone." Like it was just completely avulsed out the bone. So I had a, that sounds like, oh no, but like at the same time, it's very clear what the next step is. And that's not the case for everybody. You guys are very aware of Jake DeGrom's troubles over the years. And he's had a lot of things that were kind of Tommy John adjacent. They probably were what led to what happened in Texas. It just didn't happen in New York. And he kind of got, it, it wasn't very clear. And he kind of kept having to ask questions. Is it going to heal or is it not going to heal? It's one of those things. So you kind of hope that it's quick. Um, and then you just kind of, once you know how much time there is, you check you check out on the being on the field. You try to as much as you can. It killed me to be at the games, frankly. Like sitting on the bench, just I I mean the games are long were long back then, also. But just like not being able to do, like I said, I want to constantly get better. Not being able to see any sort of progress in terms of improving as a player just just ate at me. Um, there was a lot of times where I I had to like go to a game, don't go to the next two games, go to, because just because I just like, it made me miserable if I was going to be with the team all year. But for, I'm glad that I did because then I was around the guys and also the team doesn't forget that you exist, which is important. Um, so there's a lot of anxiety around that. I think it's more than that than physical, just like thinking you're, you're done. Like, you're, am I going to get an opportunity coming back? Am I going to be written off? Am I even factored into the plan moving forward? Fortunately, I was one of the assets when the new regime took over, you know, uh, Thad and Derek, and they were looking at what they had. And, you know, it's Minnesota and they had like so like the situation worked out really well to where I would get another opportunity. Um, and then coming back, you just don't know, like you just have no idea what you're going to have. But I can honestly say that I always believed that my arm was going to be bounced back. I knew I was going to do what was necessary. I just didn't know how long it was going to take. And there is some anxiety attached to that. Um, I came back as a starter. I wasn't throwing very hard. I actually moved myself to the bullpen, just basically called dad and said, hey, I'm going to go to the bullpen. I need to get some velo back. This is and then I think I was I was optioned at that point in AAA in 2018. That's not what you want after you have almost four years of major league service. 
And uh, everyone on that team was a starter and also uh, 40 men and also 23 years old. And I was 28 and I was throwing like 90. And I'm like, they're going to give them opportunities over me too. So like, even if we throw the same, I have to be better than them because I'm older and I'm more expensive. But right. when I got moved to the bullpen, fortunately for me, not for the team, but fortunately for me, they traded five guys at the deadline. Uh, when Ryan Presley went over to continue his uh, scoreless streak in Houston, that's when I got called up. And uh, rest is history of that. But the velo took a while to come back. It, take, it took two years. But I'll be honest, there was never a time when I was super, like, wor- I didn't get the yips about my arm. Nothing hurt. I had no setbacks. None. Um, I remember when I took off this, when you take off the brace for the first time and straightening out, that's nerve wracking. You're like, oh. And then I remember I pulled it off and they're like, all right, see how far you can straighten. I went, just straight. I was like, oh like oh you're great <laughs> and that was like the biggest relief of my life my doctor was like huh i wonder how that happened i don't know hey well you got great great flexibility i lost no flexibility um, my surgery went great and uh, shout out to dr meister keith meister he is anyone asked me to go to go to somebody i always say him but it takes a little longer with him but he does a great job that's fantastic. And we're glad you came back because you did have a great career af- afterwards. But I want to take it back to when you were in high school being recruited. I mean, you had a 17, 18 year old kid. And tell us about the, the scouting process. I mean, you were drafted pretty high in the fourth round. So uh, the, the scouts must have been on you uh, coming to you every every game. So tell us how, what, what was that like, the recruiting process? It's surreal. Um, it's definitely weird up in Washington, too, because even in our playoffs, during our playoffs, it's still kind of rainy and cold. Like, we, it never gets warm here for high school baseball. And so we don't see many scouts. Um, I actually got, I think I was very fortunate that Pat Gillick actually was the GM of the Phillies at the time and from Seattle at the time. So he actually was coming out here and he was about to retire. So he's coming out here all the time. So he saw me in person a few times, which I think that without that, I wouldn't, I, they wouldn't have taken a flyer on me that high. Um, it was pretty, uh, a pretty, not a robust, uh, draft class out of the Northwest. I think it was the first guy drafted out of the state, uh, in the fourth, um, that's including the colleges. So like, it wasn't a huge draft class and to be a high school pitcher is a big deal, but, uh, I'd also got a new group of guys with the Phillies. I think every single one of us was like a six, five righty high school kid, um, for like they had me, Colby Shreve, um, Jonathan Pettibone. Vance Worley, like all these guys who were righty power arms that they were trying to get from the West Coast. And so I, I you know, I fit in their plan, too. But, yeah, it's looking looking back behind there and, you know, on like the bleachers where there's like 13 people there and like five of them are scouts or you see stalker gums coming up because that's what they used to use back then was gave me some energy. I, I had some really good playoff games because I saw them back there and I knew what was what was uh, what might happen. So. Uh, I was able to kind of commandeer that energy. So it, it, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, meeting, you just, you just, there's no, you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> you uh-huh. just get an advisor <laughs> and you, you just hope they know what they're doing. And uh, I got, I got lucky in, in that, in that realm for sure. I asked you about the process of, of uh, recruiting, but you also went uh, traded. So I'd like to know about that process. And you also a free agent when you signed with the Mets a couple of years ago. So yeah. I, could you talk about how different processes work in baseball? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the trade trades are really interesting. They just happen. Um, people think people think there's like this conversation, this under this behind the scenes happening with you and the team. Players have nothing to do with it for the most part, unless they have a no trade clause or something. Like, yeah, Max and Verlander, they were talking to them. They they had them in the process, but like me, no, they were just like, you're going somewhere else. And I actually found out this was in 20, 2012. I even found out on Twitter before anything else in 2012 and wow. that was before twitter was what twitter became yeah 
so I found out there. I then Terry Ryan called me first, and then Ruben Amaro called me second, which frankly was a little bit of his mo. So uh, not surprising at all, but it was a little bit of a bittersweet situation. Um, I had also seen like five years in a row, like half the like two or three guys from the team I was just on got traded. They did Pence and Oswald and, and Halliday and Cliff Lee and like all these guys all the time. It was just my teammates. So I was like, I'm just dodging these trades. And I had a little bit of a down year in 12. So I was like, here it comes. And then it came. And But it's nice to have a team go, hey, we want you on our team. Like, we want you to be part of our plan moving forward. So it kind of sparks that, like, if you're not throwing as well for your organization, sometimes you get they get a little bit like, okay, let's get a new guy. Who, who Who's coming up here? And you need a clean slate. And I was fortunate to get that. I think that's I think that continued my career, kept me moving forward um, because double A was tough. It was unfortunately I had to go to New Britain, Connecticut, which was much, 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 much worse of a place to play than uh, Reading. Uh, it was a tough, tough field. They don't have a team anymore, probably for the best. And then so we went to talk about what we're talking about getting traded and then that free agency. Um, free agency right. So free agency is your first. Frequency is really exciting because it's your first time where you feel like you have any measure of control over where you're going, what you're doing, and what you want. I always, when I talk, I talked to, because we had Tony Kemp going to be a free agent this year. He was the only guy who's going to be a free agent on the, on the A's. But some, I've talked over the years with guys who are about to become free agents and just said, hey, like, just make sure you're very, very, very clear about what you want um, because this is your chance. Like, you can get everything you want. And you should do that because you put up with getting nothing you want, mostly, for your whole career up to that point. The conversation starts with, where do you want to live? You know, what type of taxes are we looking at? What, you know, what's the AV going to look like? How we want to spread that money out? You know, what other things can we put in there? Like, what's, the, is the team going to be good or not? Like, you, so you rank all these things and see how you fit into that process. And when Steve Cohen took over the team, I mean, just, it's just, we have seen it more and more now. Like, it's just rare. That, a, that an owner has a lifelong goal to win a World Series with a professional sports team, and then you get to be on the team when they do it. Um, that's a motivation that just doesn't exist in a lot of places. And uh, even if the if it doesn't end up working out, you still want the guy at the top of that pyramid to have that kind of passion because it's easy to match. It's like right. we have passion for the game too. So like if he has passion, I can feed off that. Give it to me. So I just I just it, immediately hearing what he's saying and watching what he's doing. Like, he's just not, he just wants, to, he, this is what he wants. And he's going to do what he needs to do to get it. And that's why we approached everything else in his life. So why would he do it any differently here? That was exciting to me. That was something that I hadn't, I just hadn't seen an owner that was around like that. Or, or just like, just that authentic about why they bought something and why they were participating in it. And so it was awesome to be his first sign. And, and you know, it's New York. Like, I'm from a <laughs> tiny town in Washington. Like, uh, every day, you know, there was, there was some tough days and there was days where I was just exhausted. But one thing that never, never, like I, it was never lost on me was seeing the skyline driving back to my house every day. And I'm like, that's 10 year old me is like, you play for the New York sports team. That's crazy. <laughs> Watching sports, sports center my whole life, seeing right. any, me in uh, any sort of New York on my chest is like, one, it's still one of the coolest. It's going to be one of the coolest things that I'll, I'll always be able to tell my kids because they'll be in Seattle and Seattle's a small town comparatively. Like, I'll be like, uh, you know, your dad played sports in New York for a couple of years. Like, that's that's nothing to shake a stick at. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you know, Trevor, it's funny because when Steve Cohen bought the Mets, it's like 
if if you you know Jeff and I uh, living in New York our whole lives, we have a, a some major sports stations here. So like the Fan, WFAN, you probably had some involvement with it when you were when you're a player. I've but um, those guys, yes, yeah. So you you get people calling up. Oh, we need to sign this person, trade this person, you know. And of course, we're fans, and we can't have no yeah. say or uh, you know over anything. Steve Cohen is a fan of the team, but now. He's not only a fan of the team, he can control. I mean, he has the ability to do any move. I mean, obviously, you know, there are places that he won't get or whatever, but he has the ability to take that team that he loves and actually make them a winner. That's an unbelievable thing. And as a fan, you got to love that. So you're you're 100% right on that. Yeah, I I doesn't surprise me one bit that it's a very, very loyal fan base to him. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I mean, he is going to be there long-term and the fans are going to be there long-term. So I, I understand how that's a different thing with, with players and with, with the, the management, like where the, where loyalties might lie sometimes. Um, but I'm very excited about Stearns joining. Cause now you got a, now you got a full, you got a full New York group that everyone's got their, they got their, their skin in the game. Lots of skin in the game. It's where you're from. It's where it's probably where he wanted to be the whole time. It's probably, I know it's where Steve wanted to be the whole time. So it's like, this might be the, the the time. Um, and I think that Stearns has also done a pretty good job of putting teams together. So I can imagine what he's going to do with the, the money he's got now. So I'm really excited. I'm really excited for Mets fans. I'm really excited for the Mets organization. I think there's really, really great stuff ahead of, ahead of you. Now, the one thing um, Jeff mentioned, you know, you, you went to Kelso high school and you had an offer from the university of Washington. You were valedictorian of your class. Weren't you? I was. Yes. That's pretty impressive. When I was 11 years old, I actually wanted to go to Stanford. So when I was 11, it was two th- year 2000. Uh, I think they had just won the College World Series in 2001. And they were really good. And Stanford's a great, you know, obviously a great school. And we had just gone on a road trip down the West Coast. And I saw the campus. And it's beautiful. So I wanted to go to Stanford. My dad's like, do you want to go to Stanford? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, you got to get straight A's probably from now until graduate. And I said, okay. And so that's what I did. <laughs> And <laughs> yes. uh, valedictorian and uh, became, but it's funny because then I, I actually committed to Washington and like my junior, because I realized Washington's a very good school as well. Um, really good academically, a lot of great, a great business school, great engineering program, great architecture school. So I was like, all those things were interesting to me. I was like, oh, it's only two hours away. I don't even have to go to California. Let's just go two hours away. And then I got drafted and moved 3000 miles away. It, it's funny that it all kind of just like, I'm like, oh, well, that was all that hard work. I, I went past the that that like where that was going to take me, and I did not anticipate that. So, yeah, yeah, it's I try I've tried to use that same work ethic, you know, off the field and continue learning and always always just being curious because that that never left me for sure. You know, uh, I did mention that you have a lot of other interests instead of instead of baseball, and one of the things I I've been getting is your May Day report, which talks mm-hmm. about baseball and other things, and it's really interesting. You have an article in your last one about uh, Josh Hader. But you also have recipes, and we are baseball and BBQ. So I was wondering uh, if you have any, if you can put any barbecue recipes up, up on the uh, May Day report. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to start expanding all of these things. Frankly, the first five, six episode or uh, editions were kind of just like, what do you guys want to know? Because I like everything. Like I could fill this with the most random stuff ever, and I love sharing. So I'm like, what? The, what so I'm trying to narrow it down to the things that I like sharing the most. Uh, it's always like if there's a video that I get in my scrolling that I just cannot stop laughing at. 
that's going to go in there. Um, that doesn't always happen, but that's going in because I think people should see it. Uh, the article is my first op- That was my first attempt at writing an article, uh, which I had. Oh, gosh, it was so fun. I was like, this is this is really fun. I'm, I'm enjoying making these these points because I don't think anyone else has made these. And that was a lot of fun. But when it comes to the recipes, so I am a baker. Baking is my thing. Um, I do it like one, I do a, like a Sunday. I try to try to get into something like this. This Sunday, I'm going to go for and do a little cake because I want to work on my icing. But then simultaneously, while we're waiting for the cake to bake and stuff, I'm going to be doing I do like batches of like 30 bagels and then freeze 20 of them. Uh, <laughs> so I, I got to re up. We're out of bagels. So I'm going to be uh, doing them. And I do that live on stream. Sometimes just we just talk about random stuff while stuff's rising or whatever. That's a lot of fun. But uh I think that I think that because my wife's a cook, so she's gotten some good recipes recently. So when we have a good dinner, I'm gonna start throwing those in. Yeah, we're gonna expand it, but I think barbecue is a good way. I've never really made much barbecue, but now I have a, a summer off, and the old Traeger's uh-huh. gonna get used ah, for the first uh, time. So we, all yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, Traeger man. Okay, I learn. We yeah. we have. We actually have um, a, a very good uh, a friend of the show. Uh, l- our long-running guest co-host Doug Shining is a Traeger rep, okay. and it's amazing. We just had a uh, we just had Matt Whistler on. Uh, oh, Whis, the yeah. pitcher, right? Okay, yeah, and, I played with him. Played yeah, with him and he has yeah. So he has an Instagram page, and he has his Traeger. We got to get you barbecuing. Yeah, yeah, why not? I got. I have a friend who 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 smokes everything um and he's he just made four turkeys for thanksgiving so it's it's definitely his thing but he does like a 25 hour brine and like he's 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 a real he's a real <laughs> oh, deal. yeah um but he also has the same trigger as me so he, we're gonna do like some mobile because he lives in syracuse new york so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do i like i threw new york out there like you don't know where syracuse is but uh we're gonna do some like virtual lessons uh, and have him teach me and hang out that way so i'm excited to learn uh, i think i think that i think the grill will be my my, area, she, oh. my wife, she's so much better than me cooking. Really, we're talking about it today. I'm like, I don't know why. I've been cooking for a while. Like, I've tried. I just, yeah. I just haven't. I'm just haven't picked it up in a like. It's fine. Like, I eat. I make food that's edible and it's fine. But she, hers is always perfect. And uh, but my baking, uh-huh. my bread, yeah. is, we're staying in our lanes and we're, <laughs> we we uh, we do it at the same time sometimes. So it's it's kind of a lot of fun. We have to get, uh, I, I shouldn't commit him without him agreeing, but we got to get Doug. Doug could probably give you some uh, some Zoom lessons oh, with, awesome. with, yeah. with the Traeger. And you talked about writing. I read your retirement message that you had posted, and it was it was it was very it, it meant it, I felt the the feeling from it from you to the fans. And then now the one thing you ended it with and you credited, you said you took it from Sean Doolittle, yeah. but I have to read this. And because it's so it's so true for fans, because as you know, Jeff and I are Met fans. So but everyone is always nervous when their reliever comes in. But it's I'm sorry I made many of you nervous when I pitched. I was nervous, too. I love that. Yeah, we're with you. Just just. If you can look at a TV, just like look at a guy's face and try to guess what he's feeling. I don't know. I feel like it may, It just make, makes it so much better both ways. Um, things don't go bad. You feel for them. But like if it goes good, you suddenly feel you feel it like they feel it. And it's pretty. I was I was trying to do that a little bit more. This year gave me a little bit more perspective, but it just happened to be timely. He did what he he put that message out about a month before the season was over. I'm like, I am stealing that. And I've talked to Sean a little bit. I think that 
we should probably talk more because I think that Sean and I are very similar. Uh, I've heard that from a lot of A's people too. Like, dude, you and Doolittle would have been best friends. And Jed Lowry, randomly us three would have been boys. I, I know I'm not supposed to say that name uh, for Mets fans. <laughs> but, right. It's all but, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes. Uh, so, but yeah, I saw that. And I was like, I am stealing that because that is the best way to put it. Like, just know that like we're out there feeling it too. But there's days where we're not and we're dialed and you can tell. And those are the good days too. So, but if you're, if you're good at like seeing looks on guys' faces and knowing what they're feeling, I think it makes watching them play even better. So I don't know. That's something I'll take forward as I, as I become a fan and use my gold card and go to games. Just like looking at the guy, know what he's feeling. The gold card. That was, I was going to, I was going to let Jeff go next because, you know, we get this back and forth, but I wanted to yeah, the gold card. Tell us about the gold card. Gold card is the reason that it's it. I talked about the pension earlier. Don't care. One of the gold card. All I wanted was that gold <laughs> card. Um, I anticipated working after after the being done playing. I was never not going to work. I I like too many things, but being able to just I I'm so excited for like a Thursday getaway day because I live like four miles from T-Mobile. I can ten minutes. I can be there. Just hop. I can get an Uber. Just go because I don't have to park and go to a game. Take a buddy, go to a game. Uh, my goal is to make friends with a, uh, get somebody who is at the ticket window who knows me so that when I bring my pops or my, so anybody else like that, know like they go, they go with me regularly, then I can give them the card and be like, you know, this is Trevor's card. They brought two people and I don't have to be there because you're not supposed to do that. But I, you know, I'm trying, I'm going to try to get that, that in. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, you know, for those of you that don't know, it's two free, two uh, free tickets, best available to any regular season game for the rest of your career. For the rest of your life after eight years. Uh, and fortunately, I think I got mine. I got mine two weeks after James McCann. And then week the week between us was Taiwan Walker. And then a week after Taiwan was me. So like we all got them. But I just got mine. I don't know when they got if they got theirs even yet. But uh, that was really cool. We all shared it together. And and uh, then the next year I go to the A's and I have the most service time. No one's even close to eight. So uh, <laughs> that was that was a pretty funny uh, thing to remember too. That was like, oh wait, I played with a bunch of guys who were my age last year. Yeah, and you you played for Buck uh, Showalter. Play you played for a couple of guys: Ron Garnheim, uh, Paul Molitor, uh, Rocco Baldaldi, Louis Rojas, and Mark Hotze, and, and, and Buck Showalter. I mean, Buck Showalter won 101 games that, that year and came in second. But uh, how was uh, working? How was wor- working for Buck? I love Buck. I think Buck Buck's got his got his finger on the pulse of his team. All times he's always uh, walking around, having chats with people, telling stories. Like he's just he makes himself self available. I, I you know I would have had no issue if I had an issue, something to go in or something going on behind the scenes or whatever, um, or with the family go, walking in and and talking to Buck about it. Like I I don't th- he's one of those guys that that is available for those things. He's a human being first. So um, and you know to be honest, from the outside looking in, that's not something that I would have assumed before. Do you know because he's he's got the you got the persona and he, mm-hmm. you know, he, he could be seen as old school or, you know, uh, uh, with the, with the uniform and all that kind of stuff. But it turns out that I didn't know this all day. Buck's walking around. Like he looks like a trainer. He's got his khakis on no hat, uh, and a pullover. And he just looks like all the other guys. And then one BP starts, he gets the, his basic uniform. But when the game starts, he's got like four pieces of his uniform that nobody else has like the, the turtleneck and the socks and the tweeners and the, that all is tailored like it's like it's almost like mr met gets in his costume and buckets in his costume <laughs> so like i was like oh it's really like this like he's he's got it to the nines it's got to be the same and he's very meticulous 
I just didn't know what to expect. And, but it was, it was a really, really cool. He's an awesome guy and he just knows what he's doing. And he handles, he handles New York better than anyone. Yeah. He'd been yeah, we there, done it. Benny Yankees manager. He's like, I, I know what this is, guys. I got this. And that was no offense to Louie, but that he got a, that, it was different. It was, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to learn. And he was young, early in the process. And we, and then we got Buck, who was much farther along and, and he handled it better because it's a unique place. You gotta, you gotta have, it's, you gotta know how to do it. Yeah. Another one of your endeavors is your YouTube channel, which I was, I was watching, checking it out earlier. And, uh, your latest one is says uh, this is why I retired in nastiest pitches of 2023. I mean, you look like you have a good time making these videos because Thank you were really funny. They were really great. Thank you. Want to talk um, about that? Yeah, I, I that's that's going to be kind of the, the the pillar of the content these these days. Um, I'm I've I'm dancing around. A, a, I've just started a new one that's shorter form working with like the less than minute videos because i can do a bunch of bite-sized ones where i'm just explaining baseball terms <laughs> which is you know there's about a million of them and uh, some of them you've never heard before trust me things we say in certain situations because it's such a locker room like it's such like a boys club just like we're together all we had to come up with different ways to say things constantly to make it fresh and so that's the new one. I'm really excited. I've recorded about five of those, but uh, my list in my notes is I think I have like 28 of them planned. So wow. I'm going to record those like crazy. Um, and then I would also, I think on that channel, m a little bit more on the serious side, may not fully on the serious side, because I'm never fully serious, but a little bit more on the serious side is, is going to be kind of getting into more of current events. Like something happens just really quickly getting a, uh, mm -hmm. a breakdown of it because I've what I always loved to do, and I, I would spend a lot of time doing in the bullpen, like while we were watching the game, I was like explaining the sell thing to the teammates and stuff, because to be honest, they're just like, ah, I don't really understand fully what's going on. Like, I, I just not plugged in like that. And I always pay attention to all that stuff. So I'm, I'm really excited. Like, I want to talk about the uh, a lot of people don't know or haven't really seen the FTX lawsuit with the MLB right now. <laughs> No one okay. really knows what that is or where it's coming from. Or there's a there's another thing in that same realm with money. Uh, is there's a startup in Minnesota that is trying to revolutionize player contract insurance. So basically, fans can buy shares of a guy's contract as a oh, wow, and then they can get paid. At, like you're buying oh. it as a financial instrument, which I'm not huge on that but like it's really interesting because it could be good for teams and it'd be good for team or, or for for fans to feel like they are invested as well even if it's just 10 bucks or 15 bucks right. so it, it could be a really cool way maybe allow smaller market teams to get bigger contracts um because there is a a little bit of a of an insurance there with with the very engaged fan base that would be interesting as well let's see if that changes i don't know but a lot of people didn't hear about that either so I, like that's right. the type of thing i would like to get mm -hmm. into those things there's some really interesting stuff that kind of gets to the wayside because it's not about juan soto so, right. Or Otani. so <laughs> right but there's a lot of stuff you're right you know you said something you were talking about buck and and his wearing stuff but then you said something that i found very upsetting you you said like mr met and his costume and Oh Jeff, yeah, sorry. He's a real person. Mr. Met was was real. Was real. <laughs> Mr. Met is a real. That is his real head, guys. It doesn't come <laughs> off, so don't pull on it. Trevor, let me ask you this: the uh, um, Buck Showalter, right? I I was so happy when he when he became the Mets manager. 
throughout his career, I just think he's one of the most intelligent minds in baseball. He wins manager of the year. Now the next year, they don't perform well. I, you know, it, it was one of those things where, you know, everybody thinks they're, you know, because they put all the money into the team that they're going to win. And we know that doesn't yeah. always work. But how does Buck Showalter go from being manager of the year genius and all of a sudden they get rid of him? I, I hate that. Now, I know yeah. they've got new management coming in, but it's not right. It, I know it's the game and all that, but I just think that I think it was a big mistake. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I I agree that maybe another year was the way. And I know I think he had one more year on the contract anyways. It was a three year mm-hmm. start. So yeah, like, why not? If he's your guy and 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 it just comes down to when you hire a new president of baseball operations, that is like, OK, so what is this connection? Because those guys are going to be hanging out together all the time. So if that's not, you know, it could literally be like manager could be like, hey, I'm good if you guys need to go somewhere else, which honestly, I think that they have enough respect. I know Gary or not Gary. Well, Gary, too. But geez, there's so many Cohen's. Uh, 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 Jeff Cohen. Yeah, Steve. all of the Cohen's, all the Cohen's yes. respect. Buck, um, Every call. Yes. But uh, but I think that it comes down to it is like and you guys are very well plugged into the Mets fan. But it's, it's just you just don't have a lot of time there. Um, sometimes it's one year you got to build on the next year or, or it's not not going to work out. But like the way that even went tells me that like it was like a hey, you know, you can resi- like we don't need to be like we're, you're fired. We can just be like we're stepping away. We've decided mutually that there's another d- direction. And the, you know, moving on from Billy was probably a big part of that, because once you change above, then that's, that tends to trickle down. So you can bring in the guys that you are already connected with and like, know your philosophy in the way that you work. And I know that Stearns is a, has a very like he's got a pretty buttoned up philosophy and how he builds teams. So that has to be plugged in really well right away. Um, if you want to if you want to have success. But that said, like we'll just look at the A's. The A's are the exact opposite, right? They're like Mark, you're gonna get a bunch of. We're giving you opportunities. Like you're our guy. We're gonna get moving forward here. So it's kind of it's kind of like known before you go in. I, I think Buck's like I got two years. <laughs> If this doesn't work out in two years, like that's, I gotta, I gotta be showing something both years. I can't just have a down year. And he had a down year and he's probably like, yeah, it's probably what this happened before. I've seen this movie. Yeah, uh, exactly. And so it didn't seem like it was like anyone was super like surprised, but it is just the nature of the job and every single organization is different, but who knows? Maybe the, you know, the, the Steve Stearns situation happens and they get in a really good, uh, relationship here and then the new manager gets a little bit longer leash because they're just letting the plan play out so it just comes down to is the plan not working we just need and we amount of time doesn't matter anymore or we just need more time to see this plan come to fruition um and that's that's it's just all about where you're at and and sometimes you you just get to be the last guy the last guy out it's just just the way it is trevor if you if you just sit back a second and allow me to give you a big compliment because Everything that I've been researching and, and hearing about you and reading, the the media must have loved you because you say what you think, but you don't say it. I don't hear it in any kind of vindictive way. And like, I'll give you a perfect example. I was listening to you had a podcast. I don't know if it's still active. It's called The Unfair Advantage. Right. And you were talking about your contract when you signed with Oakland. 
And I learned so much from that. You were talking about your salary. You were talking about the incentives. You were talking about, you know, signing with them and what you were excited about and all of this. You talked about the athletics and John Fisher, the owner, and how you felt that moving the team, uh, you didn't think that was a good idea. What a, I just think I, I I really appreciate the way you say it. I appreciate the the way you give uh, you know the stories. You know, that's that's my way of just saying thank you, because it's nice when, you know, as fans, we can appreciate, we can listen, we we can get deeper into the game than just the balls and strikes. Thank you. That, that's that's how I've, I've, I've strove to be. So um, it does mean a lot hearing that some of that stuff is actually happening and that I'm able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been about authenticity at the end of the day. I. I I think there are certain ways, especially when you're kind of in the limelight, you have to change yourself a little bit. You can't always say everything that pops in your head, mm-hmm. um, no matter how much I wanted to. Um, <laughs> I, I, there were certain things that I just, this is not worth putting out publicly. This can be private. Um, and that was, this is a big part of why I'm excited about kind of retirement is that like, I, that's not there anymore. Like I can truly be myself publicly, but I, I think that the game could use more guys just kind of saying, Hey man, this, this was hard or I just lost it. Or just if you, if you have the feel safe enough to just say exactly how you're feeling and be authentic with the things you're saying without being, you know, vindictive, like you said, or, or, or malicious or mean, um, because there's a lot of ways to do things. You don't always have to be mean to get your point across. I think I should do it. And I think that, uh, that'll, that just, that's what sports are for. It's just supposed to be a human connection. And I think that, when, with the way that money is, we just see a lot of just in everything. Like I'm in streaming and I'm in like content creation and stuff. There's a lot of just like not real, a lot of fakeness happening for 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 dollars. And if you can separate your like not trying to get pay money for every single thing, it does open you up to just kind of be like, I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to talk about this thing because I'm not worried about it bringing me money. And it's not the point. And once that doesn't become the point, for everything, which I think if people would say, oh, money's not always involved with everything. And then if they went and looked at a week of decisions, you're like, oh, maybe it is. Maybe I do make every single, <laughs> And that's necessary in a lot of ways. But right. I just think that our humanness, sometimes if you can remove that, that, that incentive from it, uh, get some freedom to kind of feel better and, and be okay with where you're at. And I think that with that came uh, my opportunity to be really open and i'm just going to keep trying to be open i think i can be even more open um and as i move forward i'm just gonna keep trying to do it so i hope i i hope that this pattern continues and that people uh get value from it yeah uh, absolutely and you know everybody should go get the uh, the mayday report yeah it, it. It, how long how long does it come out was once a week or once how long is it once out? a week i i'm i'm once shooting for uh like monday tuesday for the release i haven't really locked down the exact day right so this week's a couple days behind, but it'll be here in the next day or two. Um, I have some really cool stuff that I wrote down. It's going to be way different than last week's. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I, I do. We'll I have an article about a player again. That that's going to happen. I'm going to do Blake Stone. Okay. Next. I look forward to that. I, uh, before I let you go, I do want to ask you about a scouting report on three of the Oakland pitchers: uh, Caprillion, Waldershuk, and Sears. How how, uh, how do you think they're they're young guys? Are they obviously up and coming? How do you think they're going to perform uh, going forward? Yeah, the big ones. I. I so I, I think actually Caprellian and he had a, he had a shoulder surgery. He's struggled with his shoulder, but uh, he's probably one of the more polished 
guys uh, in terms of knowing how to pitch. He was just not feeling super healthy uh, while I was there. Um, but you talk to him, he knows what he's doing. Uh, but but Sears and Waldy are very, very interesting, and they're very different people. Very different people, though they throw the same pitches, and they are very similar looking. Ken, Ken's got, I would say, stuff-wise, Ken probably has a little bit higher ceiling in terms of velo and swing and miss and it just comes down to to execution and and maybe up here a little bit but the opposite of that jp series is a gamer he's a guy that he's a guy who's he's like give me the ball like he's that guy and he's had that he had that immediately he had that mini, the moment he was in the big leagues and that that really shines through and and shown through this year because he you go out in the first struggle a little bit getting a, a tough jam and then just cruise and he, he was pretty much he was he was our only really consistent guy for a while mm-hmm. and uh, other guys kind of fed off that from him because he had the same amount of experience as them. So yeah, he was a big anchor for everyone else getting better. And then you saw Ken get better as the year went on by, by seeing what JP does because they are very similar pitchers. And, um, but yeah, watching where they've started to where they are now, I think those guys are going to be, especially in that ballpark, like at least for the next yeah. year, right? We right. Know, right. <laughs> it's going to, they, if they go to the AAA place, it's going to be the exact opposite. So oh, right. the pitching, oh God, there's not going to be a lot, not a good things going on there. Um, but one more year in the Coliseum, I love that. And uh, I think that JP is going to take another step forward. I think that Ken has the opportunity to be like, you know, a 12 per nine strikeout type of starting lefty, which, which is, Really interesting. And if it, and on in all honesty, if it doesn't work out that way, because you know, it doesn't always he's gonna be an electric reliever if that has to be where he goes. Like he's got that mm-hmm. in the back pocket. And like I, I told him, do not give up on that till you absolutely have to. But right. um, yeah, he's got he's got really, really great stuff. And then they got other guys, uh Joe Boyle, another guy. Pay attention to that guy. Okay. He's the six we'll nine do. guy they just got from Cincinnati, who was who threw like almost threw the no hitter last day of the season. Jeff, I know you want to wrap, but I want to ask Trevor one more thing. And Trevor, we were we're very appreciative of, of your time. Of course. The the fact that this this time is flying by says it is just we're enjoying this a lot. Um spring training comes, right? We get to February, we get to Valentine's Day, maybe a couple of weeks after. You think you're gonna get the itch at all to possibly uh, you know, make a comeback, or you are absolutely 100% done. Um, we're not a comeback. I would say the earliest to comeback would be would be next year. If that even if that was like, you know, what I term turns out I actually want to play and I'm 35 and I think I could I got something left in the tank. And, you know, I mean, maybe the Cardinals will take me because they just took every other 35 year old. So, uh, <laughs> you know, who knows? Um, uh, I, I'm leaving that open because I think it's just uh, there's no reason not to. But yeah, no, I'm pretty convicted here. I think that I think I'm going to be I have a bigger smile on my face not having to get on a flight at five in the morning uh, than most people think. And uh, seeing the weather warm up here is going to be something I haven't experienced since I was 18. And I'm very excited for that. My wife and I are going to start a garden like we're just going to have a lot of good, a lot of fun with it. And I'm going to be watching games. I'm going to be I'm doing the radio. I'm going to be doing some radio stuff. I have uh, oh, another cool. another thing that I can't fully announce yet, but uh, uh, joining a podcast that is well established already. So, um, uh-huh. oh, you're space. coming on here again. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, whatever you guys want. Like, seriously, I, I love this. I, I love doing the shows. So I'm going to be there's going to be talking head. Trevor There's going to be YouTube. Trevor, um, nice. I have I have my own podcast as well. And my own podcast network. I have another podcast that I'm developing that's smaller, not an hour or, or whatever. It's more of a, a Tim Ferriss type situation. 
where we can learn about all the stuff I've learned over the years and how to deal with fear and all that kind of stuff. So stay tuned for that too. That could be out sooner rather than later. I actually spent all night last night just designing the uh, the artwork for it. So I'm I'm excited for that and we'll see. We'll see. But a lot of content. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be all over there, all over your phone at least. Good. Very cool. Nice. So tell tell people where they can reach you or follow you on Twitter or, or yeah. YouTube. So tell us your social media. Follow me on Twitter because I refuse to call it X. Uh, I am Trevor May. Uh, I'm on I am Trevor May on TikTok. I'm I am Tre- Trevor May on Twitch. Um, I'm Trev May 65 on Instagram. It's the only one that's different. Threads is I am Trevor May as well. Uh, so, you know, I'm I'm fairly active in all those places. Um, and my YouTube channel is Trevor May Baseball. Uh, I have another YouTube channel that's gaming related. If you're interested in that, that hasn't gotten sure. a lot of attention lately, but it's I am Trevor May as well. And there's actually another channel coming. Wow. That is called Trevor Learns Everything, uh, wow. which is kind of adjacent to the podcast and the, the newsletter and then sub to the newsletter. And that is uh, I'm Trevor May dot com. We'll should should just have a sign up for you um, there. Cool. And uh-huh. yeah, it's just all you got to do is put your email in and you'll get it. Nice. Excellent. An excellent newsletter. I really enjoy reading it. Trevor, mm-hmm. we really appreciate taking the time and uh, great talking to you. Good luck with everything you do. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate you. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast. And if you like barbecue and you like baseball, then you have to listen to Baseball and BBQ with Jeff and Lynn. They always have the best guests from the world of baseball and the world of barbecue all in one little package so check it out baseball and bbq with len and jeff okay guys take it away and thank you trevor for being on on with us on baseball and bbq he's certainly a like i said a very open and honest guest Uh, he's out there in the pacific northwest now but we liked his time when he was here in, in queens we definitely did. He is going to have he is going to have an incredible post retirement career. You could just tell. Listen, if you're ever in our neighborhood and you want to use that gold card for one of us <laughs> or you know, just just kind of lend it to us for a game, that we'll take it. Wow. I wonder how many people know about that. You know, uh, not that many, I would think. I, I didn't know about that. That was fun. That was yes. a lot of fun to learn about that. Jeff, you know what else is a lot of fun? What's that? Baseballbbq.com with grilling tools and accessories. They have baseball bat handles. Jeff, a cutting board shaped like home plate. You could have OC on the back for old coot on the not on the back, on the cutting board. They can engrave it. I mean, how cool would that be? You know what? That that'd be that'd be a great wedding gift, don't you think? <laughs> you put the name of the couple on the, on their favorite team you know wow absolutely right on home plate that would be and then you could even if you want to include a spatula or include a tongue and and carve whatever you want on there the date of the wedding whatever yeah. you want yes jeff you are on to something <laughs> head to baseballbbq.com. you are going to love it Grilling season, barbecue season, call it whatever season you want. It is coming up. Get ready. And now, Jeff, I have something. Well, I have first, let me tell you, if anybody wants to give us a call, call us at 516-855-8214 and leave a message. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Leave a 
comment on our Facebook page, Baseball and BBQ. We have an X at Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all spelled out. Our website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, pass the word. Please subscribe. All right, Jeff. The Barbecue Quote of the Week. Barbecue is like jazz. It can be as simple or as complex as you want it to be. Now, that was said by Bob Gibson. The Bob Gibson? One of them. (laughs) (laughs) I could be the Bob Gibson of of barbecue fame, or it could be the Bob Gibson of baseball fame. Either way, Jeff, pretty good company. Not bad. Good quote. And, Jeff, before we get to our next guest, we have something. Anthony Marasco, our friend Anthony from Beltway Mets. We should give them a plug. Great Mm -hmm. group. Yes. Sent something to us asking, and I want to direct it at you. uh, What is your, yes, what is your baseball pet peeve? So it's not a rant. It's Jeff's pet peeve. Oh, okay. Well, my biggest pet peeve, I guess when going to the game, it always, can I say pisses me off? It always <laughs> pisses me yes. off. I, I just, guess I just did. Is the, the parking. The parking is so outrageously expensive. I mean, you know, I can get a ticket, a ticket price lower than the, uh, the p- price of parking. It is absolutely the course of just going to the game. Look, I, I know going to a baseball game is expensive. I mean, it's you're going, you're going to spend a couple hundred dollars, but to, to, to with parking on top of that at, at, at city field, it's $40. I know it's Yankee stadium. It's 50. Who knows where else it's just to park a car, at least, you know, get more people out there to direct you when you're leaving. Cause everybody's just going to the exit and you know, you, you just praying you're not getting a hit. That's my biggest pet peeve about going to a baseball game. Thank you. Thank you. That's a good pet peeve. Yeah. It's it's not even a pleasant experience, right? When you get out of that stadium. Well, you know, you can go to the stadium. You can go by train. That's still expensive. Mm-hmm. You can go by car. I guess uh, you can actually, if you get lucky and park in a neighborhood outside the parking lot. But, you know, then you got to walk to, you know, walk far to the stadium. So it. it they don't give you much choices, and it's just just outrageously expensive to park a car. And you know what, Jeff? That's I. It's good I didn't ask you your barbecue pet peeve. We'll save that for <laughs> another. We'll save that for another one. Okay. But speaking of barbecue, uh-huh. let's get to our next guest, and that is Charlie McKenna of Lily Q's. Our guest on baseball and BBQ grew up in South Carolina and learned very early on about the art of true Southern barbecue. His grandma, Lily, made sure of it. He is a graduate of Florida State University and the Culinary Institute of America. He has gone on to become a world barbecue champion by taking Memphis in May twice, along with other awards. He has traveled the barbecue competition circus from circus <laughs> circuit from Memphis to Alabama and the Carolinas, and he created Lily Q sauce unique to each region along the way. In addition to his sauces, Lily Cube's rubs and kettle chips are also crafted with authentic regional flavors inspired by his travels. Not only that, he has opened restaurants in Chicago and Florida, 
and even in the in the bleacher section of Wrigley Field. We are so glad to have him with us, Charlie McKenna of Lily's Barbecue. Welcome, Charlie. Welcome, Charlie. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Charlie, first thing I want to ask you is, is your origin story. You go to the CIA and then you end up in barbecue and the CIA is not known for putting out barbecue pitmasters. So how does that happen? That is for sure. They are not known for barbecue pitmasters. I uh, grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, obviously at a very a family that was uh, really into food, really into like the Southern home. My grandmother, Lily, had me in the kitchen when I was little cooking biscuits and gravy and country ham and showing me the ways of true Southern traditions. And that's first, like we used to make our own sausages and we would, you know, make our own jerky. And we, me and my dad do a lot of hunting, but obviously barbecue in the South is in your culture. You eat it probably once a week, I would say at least sometimes more. So we were always into barbecue, but I went to Florida state knowing I wanted to be kind of get a four-year program. So I went into hospitality management there, hospitality school. And from there, I decided I wanted to be a chef while I was there. So I did a lot of cooking um, in hotels and restaurants in Tallahassee. And then from there, I decided to go to the Culinary Institute of America to kind of get another, you know, degree, I you could say, for the, the program that was there. And my whole plan was to, you know, be the next Charlie Trotter, let's say, in, in Chicago. I was in fine dining. I worked in New York and Miami as well. And I was on a path to like try and someday, you know, do that tweezer food, basically, as some people call it nowadays. In 2008 and nine, or actually in 2005, me and my dad, who were very close, wanted to see each other more often. So we started doing these barbecue competitions. And we thought, oh, well, I'll cook the food. He'll he'll be the mouth and talk. And we'll, we'll meet up in different areas of the, of the Southeast on uh, certain weekends. And we can hang out together and still get to see each other. And that kind of over time turned into a business. In 08, 09, I was going to actually open a high-end Southern restaurant in Chicago. But the time my investors pulled out because the economy crashed, I'd already left my job at the time, had a one-year-old daughter. And we had already, we had, we had won Memphis in May in 2007. And my dad had retired from the, from his second career, basically Viking range, which is the stove company. We had bought the restaurant in Florida for him to kind of be like his retirement program, right? Like he he cooks the food there. He rings people up. He does everything. So I was trying to, I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I came up with the idea to come up to bring, you know, our barbecue to Chicago, open a restaurant that has some Southern influence to it with shrimp and grits and fried chicken on the menu as well. Increase the level of kind of the atmosphere. So you had a full service restaurant with a full bar with moonshine cocktails and all that kind of concept. As I felt Chicago you know, it didn't really fit the dirty down home patio, sit outside type of barbecue atmosphere that you're used to in the South. Uh, so I kind of upscaled it a bit and then opened Lily's Q in Chicago in 2010. And the sauces had all come from us competing in those regions and me wanting to give the judges their profile of flavor of what they were used to eating. So that's sort of how we got off the ground here with into barbecue. And then from there, it just kind of just toppled on itself. And then we, you know, kept you know, just striving for better and better. Very, very successful as you have, what, three restaurants, one in Florida, which is what your dad still runs, and you have a couple in Chicago? Yep. So my dad's uh, just turned 76, and he still runs that one day to day. It's open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to whenever he sells out. So he rings the food, cooks the food, does everything. He's the only one in the whole location. It's a lot of takeout, obviously. There's a little outdoor patio. There's no indoor seating at all. It's in the panhandle of Florida. The one in Chicago I still have. And then we also have some units in 
We have four units in the United Center where the Bulls and Blackhawks play. Okay. One of those being just fried chicken. And then we have the stand in Wrigley Field and the bleachers. So that's kind of like we roughly have seven restaurants, but five of them we kind of run with Levy and with the with the stadium. So gotcha. not not as much work as like a true brick and mortar, you would say. Um, gotcha. And then we, we got the products company that we really pushed to grocery in 2014. And that now is in 15,000 grocery stores in the U.S. and 29 different countries. Wow, that's fantastic. I want, to, I want to ask you about, uh, I read online somewhere, I was doing some research, that you spent pretty good fortune making a kitchen on wheels that you would go out <laughs> with your dad and run. And it's uh, with three smokers, a state-of-the-art ventilation system, a big screen TV. So uh, this is how you, dad, you, you and your dad got along before, before opening the restaurants? Well, it came into effect, but at first we started like everyone else. We had the easy up pop-up tents when we were going to these competitions. We pulled a trailer with a smoker on it. You know, you got all your gear that's on a maybe a lockbox that's on the trailer or you're putting it in your truck. And over those years, right, you, you know, when you're traveling around cooking barbecue outside at these events, you know, sometimes it's pouring down rain and you're standing in the mud. Sometimes it's hot as hell and you're like outside, right? So over those years, we kind of learned what worked and what didn't. And then we decided to build an all-encompassing trailer that we could take to competitions. And because we cooked the Memphis and May or MBN network, where you cook whole hog, whole shoulder and ribs, we wanted a separate cooker for each product. So we, we, we built an enclosed trailer that had like the side of it folds down into a stage. And that's where the judges in Memphis and May would come up on the stage and we would set up our table and get all our China out there, right. And plate. Um, and that's, it's still the same trailer we use at Memphis and May today, but it had three cookers on it for one for each category. The biggest one obviously was the hog cooker. Then we had a shoulder cooker and then we had a smaller cooker for ribs. It has direct TV on it. The main thing is that we're always cooking these competitions on Saturday. A lot of them in the late summer, early fall, because it's not as hot. Right. So down in the South, but that's Florida State games, and we didn't mm-hmm. want to miss those. So okay. threw an RV satellite on the top of it, put a big screen on the back wall so we could at least have the game on in the background. Uh, it has fans that suck out the smoke from it. So, like, at night we can actually close the stage up and, and sleep in there while we're attending to the hog or the shoulders or whatever. And at Memphis we obviously cook all night long too. So we're in there you know, mopping, glazing, all that sort of thing on, on the pork shoulders. But I'm not, a lot of it just came out of, okay, I don't I don't want to be in the mud, so it's got to be up off the ground. So we need kind of a stage, right? We need some place to present to the judges, so we have that stage and, like, ra- railing around it so nobody can else come on it. We wanted to watch Florida State games, so we thought about putting a TV on it. You know, the smoker came from the category. We have fridges on there to hold all the meat so that we didn't have to buy ice and carry coolers and all that other stuff. So it was all kind of out of necessity. And we kind of took our winnings over the years and kind of just collected them until we could like build this, you know, rolling barbecue trailer that is pretty efficient as well as we can do lots of big events with it. Wow. <laughs> Charlie, you, you have, like you said, you have the uh, the booth in uh, Wrigley Field. In Philadelphia, you've got Bulls Barbecue. In, uh, in Baltimore, you've got uh, Boog Powell has a barbecue place. Kansas City, of course. How has it been received in Wrigley Field? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm from the South, so college football is the main sport. I've no, I mean, I played baseball up until, like, you know, I was 11, 12, 13 years old when I switched to, like, soccer, basically. But I've always loved the sport. And when I moved to Chicago 24 years ago, I moved here in 2000, right? It'll be 24 years this July. 
the Cubs are a huge part of the atmosphere of Chicago and the pattern of their life and the history of Chicago. So it, it's hard to not fall in love with, and especially if, if, if you guys have been, which I'm guessing you have, if you're into baseball, um, that you're doing a podcast on it as well. Wrigley Field, just when you walk in that place, you can feel the history and you can feel the excitement of everyone that's there. And it, I mean, even when they sucked, it's packed, right? I mean, totally sold out. So just the opportunity for us to be able to put a stand in Wrigley Field was something that I felt was super special. I mean, people that have grown up in Chicago and are my friends now were mind blown that like I was going to have a barbecue stand in Wrigley Field. Um, I felt so thankful to Levy as well as, you know, the Cubs uh, management that, you know, came to talk to us about putting a stand in there. The history behind that franchise and you know, what they've gone through has been amazing. And for us to be in there, I'm just so thankful. And the, the, the reception has been great because one, you get the Chicago people that know us because our restaurant's been open for 15 years and they love that they can get the same type of food that they get at our restaurant in the stands, as well as we hit a lot of newcomers that come through there and they may not know Lily's Q, but then somebody at the, at the Wrigley may be like, Oh, they have restaurants and they're down the street. Right. So I think it's been you know great for us, and I think it's been great for Wrigley. So it's 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 really been awesome. On your website, which is lilliesq.com, yes, you have a map. Yep, take a road trip with us. You yeah, got Memphis, Western North Carolina, Eastern North Carolina, South Carolina, and Alabama. Now we're talking about Chicago. Yeah, what I wanted to ask you is, you know, we've got all these barbecue regions. We're in New York. We we've got some good barbecue, but there are regions that are overlooked that are frequently overlooked, maybe Chicago. Yeah, um, for sure. Think, what do you think? New York. Is, yeah. And I mean, you've got a place in Florida, you know, it's funny because Florida is a barbecue place, but you never hear about Florida barbecue. No. So what, what do you think is a, a region, one or two regions of the country that have great barbecue that are frequently overlooked? Oh, man. I mean, obviously, I think Chicago's one of them. We have a history here of the aquarium smokers and the South Side guys doing rib tips and that sort of atmosphere where that came from that I think a lot of people that are into barbecue haven't really touched on. The region of South Side Chicago and, and the and the pitmasters that have come from that area and the type of smoker they smoke on, which is a glass box that they have a hose that they spray on the fire to like help create smoke. I think you know, some of the things you're seeing now, which is very exciting for me being in this game a little bit longer than some of the other people, is that barbecue has grown so drastically over the last five years, even that you have amazing places opening in New York, like, you know, in Brooklyn, you have, you know, all those places that have opened Fede Sal, and then you have Will or Bill Durney and Will uh, Bill Durney's place, right? Hometown barbecue, which is amazing. Right. And then you, now you're getting places out in California where these guys have gone to Texas and gone to the Carolinas and studied the, the history and how, and the techniques, but maybe they're bringing in their own, you know, heritage or their own culture, like moose craft barbecue out of LA. Right. So you got just this whole area up in the Northwest, right. in Oregon and Portland and, and Seattle, you got a lot of newcomers coming in. And I think the whole culture of barbecue is spreading throughout the U S. So we're getting great barbecue restaurants all throughout the U S not just in the typical Kansas City, Memphis, Texas, Southeast. And I think what that does is it helps grow barbecue as a culture as well as it helps 
you know, many people see maybe something that they can't get to. Maybe there's people that can't travel from Chicago to Texas and, and, and go down there and eat some of the Louis Mueller's and those places of the world. So they're getting those type of style of food up at some of the places with Lily's Q or Green Street Smoked Meats or Smoke, some of those places that have opened up here and really brought that culture to a different area. And I think that's what's so great about barbecue is it bring it's always brought people together in the regions that it's in. And now it's spreading itself out and bringing more people into its kind of family, let's say. And I think the level of barbecue that has stepped up from, you know, people like myself who come from fine dining or people that are just studying it nonstop and then perfecting their craft is, you know, really taking barbecue to a level that we haven't seen. And I'm excited to see where it goes with, you know, different cultures getting pulled in, whether it be you know, someone that's Latino or Mexican and they're bringing, you know, their moles and stuff into American barbecue techniques. I think that's the coolest thing that we're going to start to see in the near future is, you know, where can the cooking of live fire and slow and slow, but different flavor profiles start to blend. And where can that take barbecue to the, in the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Now, Charlie, you went to the CIA and as we said, they, they, you know, they're not known for producing pitmasters. There's plenty of great culinary schools. I mean, uh, there's Johnson and Wales in, in Rhode Island. There's so many others. Is there going to come a time when it, it seems like with barbecue being so popular, there's got to be a time when these schools are going to have specialized classes? Maybe you're not going to get a major in being a pit master, but it's got to be part of the curriculum at some point. Do you think that's going to happen? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, I would, I mean, I, I haven't even reached out to them. I probably should actually reach out to the CIA and maybe do a demo or a class. But I think you can tell from all the pitmasters that are on YouTube now, they come from great places, as well as a couple of my buddies and myself, we're doing classes throughout the year at different barbecue places, or we're doing them together. So, you know, these barbecue, all these, you know, places are doing classes and teaching people. And I think Live fire in general, not just barbecue, but live fire and barbecue with with real wood and real logs and, and the propane tanks and all the smokers that are built out of everything you can imagine. I think those things are going to be the culinary schools, the culinary of America, Johnson and Wales. They're going to have to start to at least offer some type of elective class, because I think as you see, even in the chef world we're starting to see more restaurants open where they're using hearse and they're using burn barrels and coals to cook food. And you got the Japanese like yakitori grills and you have, you know, them turning little chicken wings on coals. So I think the major thing that you're going to see is those schools will start to adapt a little bit and you'll start to see some of that curriculum start to come in so that they feel like they gave their students an overall arching of, Hey, not only did we teach you how to cook classical French dishes, we're now teaching you about how to start fires, cook with fire, and kind of get back to the basics because that's what you start to see in the chef world or where chefs are opening restaurants built solely around live fire hearse, let's say. Speaking of cooking on, on grills and stuff, what kind of grills do you use or, or smokers do you use in, in your restaurants or in your everyday life? Yeah, so um, obviously Chicago is a tough market. We had a huge fire here back in the day, and now they are very, very worried about any type of live fire equipment. So we're not, we're not allowed to use like a thousand gallon propane tank, right? They don't, it's not NS certified. So they don't allow us to kind of pull those into the restaurant. So I use 
a right now I have an M&M uh, rotisserie in Lily's Q, which is a company out of Texas. It's kind of based off J&R manufacturing. I used to have a J&R at one point, but always cooking with real wood and whole logs. On my personal side, I cook with Millscale, which is a company out of Texas, out of Lockhart, Texas. They make a 94 gallon for your home. They make a 250 to 500, 1,000. They have Yakitori grills, tri-tip Santa Maria grills. So a lot of my grills, as well as I work with a company called Kalamazoo, which is a very high-end grill, but mainly all live fire and all being composed of, whether it's a grill, it's either I can move the racks up and down. If it's a smoker, it's typically like a offset smoker that I'm using. After the CIA, you relocate to Chicago or maybe yep. at, at some point you end up in Chicago, right? Yeah. And you were a sous chef at two four-star restaurants. Yeah. Talk about being a sous chef. You hear that all the time, you know? Yeah. I know when I cook, I could use a sous chef. No doubt. What's it like uh, being a sous chef? And is it just one of those things you know you're going to do because you have to pay your dues? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, my dad was my dad's first career before Viking. He was a colonel in the military. So I've kind of always grown up in this structure of, hey, there's a hierarchy. Hey, you're in your place. Everyone's working as a team, going towards something. And I think that's why when I got into kitchens, I really fell into a groove and really liked it because it's the it's it's the same model as the military with different names, right? You have like, you have the chef and then you have the sous chef and then you have the chef de parties and then you have the prep cooks, right? You have all the way down the line. And most people, when they start in a restaurant, especially you know, before culinary schools were as popular, you started as a dishwasher and you wash dishes. And then all of a sudden they would throw you things to prep like, oh, hey, you know, why don't you peel all the carrots for the stock? Or why don't you clean all the onions? And you start to get a little bit of knife work that way. And then you got to move to the cold section, garmage, where you do all the cold dishes, right? You're not really, I mean, you're cooking things during the day, but not cooking all of minute for the customer and you're plating cold dishes. And then you got to move to the soup station and then you got to move to the fish poissonier cook. And then you got to be a sauce cook. Then you get to be a sous chef. And then hopefully you're the chef of your own restaurant someday. So the sous chef is basically the second in command in the, in the kitchen. If the chef is not there that day because it's their day off then they're the one in charge, you help a lot with menu creation, ordering, training cooks. If someone's out for some reason, you would work their station, let's say. Being a sous chef is kind of being a well-rounded person that's probably been in that certain kitchen for so long, right? If I'm a sous chef at one of those four-star restaurants, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to go to another four-star restaurant and automatically be a sous chef. I may have to go back to being a line cook and then working my way back up in that kitchen because they already have their seven, you know, chef and sous chefs. But what I loved about it was that you're in this, you're you're in a kitchen. 12 to 15 hours a day, which for a lot of people is long hours. And it is, and you have to pay your dues. You start at the bottom and you work your way up. And the more you prove yourself, the more things they give you and the more responsibility you get. And as you get up into that level, you start to be able to create dishes and you start to be able to do some of the ordering and you start to be able to pick some of the ingredients. So I loved it because there was always this goal that I could get to next. It always felt like, oh, if I do the right things, I get to be a line cook. If I do the right things, I get to be a sauce cook. If I do the right things, I get to be a sous chef. So I, I really enjoyed that because it was always a goal that I could attain and reach and know where it's coming from. And then it's like a, I played sports when I was little. You have this same sports quality around it, 
right? Like baseball, where we're a team in this kitchen, all trying to get to the same goal. And in a four-star kitchen, that's trying to, one, take care of your guests to the best of your ability, cook amazing food, and then retain those four stars, right? If reviewers are coming in, you want to make sure that you're doing enough to keep that four-star review. The whole, I've always, you know, one of the lines I've always used is, you're only as strong as your weakest link. If your weakest link is pretty bad, then the sous chef has to help them out and make sure that the team is still successful. And that's one of the things I loved about Kitchens is it's like a sports team. And there's there's always someone that's a leader that's been not only did they they didn't just get appointed that leader because they had enough money to open the restaurant. They actually had to prove themselves along the way, either in that kitchen or in some other kitchens to be able to direct other younger men or younger women that are in that kitchen to progress a team all the way to the final goal, which is that whether it be in my barbecue restaurants, we're trying to put out the most amazing barbecue every day, or are we trying to retain four stars at like the true and the Charlie Trotters of the world? Charlie, you win Memphis in May. Must yes. have been incredible. It was amazing. And you win it twice. Lightning does strike. It does. Twice in the same place. How How is that winning it t- two times? It, I mean, Still to this day, it's probably one of my most greatest accomplishments. Memphis in May is obviously, as you guys probably know, but any listeners that don't know, it's considered the Super Bowl of swine. It's one of the top contests in the world. There's teams that compete from around the world. You can't just sign up and get in this thing tomorrow and you've never cooked barbecue. You actually have to be invited um, after you put in an application. So you're competing against the best of the best in the world of barbecue, in the world of competition. Now, there are great restaurant guys that don't compete at Memphis and May, and they have amazing restaurants and amazing food. This is an arena where you're competing in a category where you're trying to be the best in that category. And luckily, twice in my lifetime, which is very rare, all right, I, I think of the last 25 Memphis and May, there's only been like five different teams that have won the shoulder category that we won to come to do that twice is in my mind is amazing. I'd love to do it again. Obviously I, I still compete. I'm going, you know, this year in, in May this year, and I want to win my third time, but you can kind of equate it. The reason it's called the Super Bowl of swine is because you kind of equate it. I mean, the greatest teams in history, the, the Patriots only have seven Super Bowls in 104 years of the NFL or whatever the number is, right? So it's not easy to do. And that's why, for me, it's one of my greatest accomplishments is not only winning it once, but then being able to come back. And so we were, what, nine years between our wins? Now, a lot of years we were in the top 10 those years, but that's not winning. And all I care about is first place. Yeah. Second is second is last, right? <laughs> like, nobody, Nobody's going, oh, you took two seconds. Twice, that's a great job. They all really talk about the two wins. So, you know, I want to I want to win, and like I I love competition, and I love competing against all the best competition pitmasters and trying to beat them. And that's one thing that I really enjoy. So I I I find it to be a huge accomplishment that you can do it twice. Well, it definitely is an accomplishment. Yeah, you know, Charlie. Also, noticed that you're a very chatterable person because you have a thing called on your website called Barbecue. Yes. So if you want to uh, talk about that and how you got that started and what's that all about? Yeah, I mean, I think I learned from my family and, and my father and my mother and everything that like we always didn't have the most money, but we always were charitable and cared about other people. And how can we help people that may not be able to help themselves, let's call it. But my aunt, my dad's sister, who I was very close with, 
and the reason the, the reason the restaurant is in Destin, Florida is because my dad's dad lived there when I was little and I would go down to the beach and hang out there. And my dad's sister would be there some of those times with, with her kids and my cousins. And we were all, we were always playing like paddle ball on the beach together. So I was very close to my aunt. She died of breast cancer at a young age, early forties. And my dad and some of her friends started a scholarship fund at her, the university she went to, which is Bernal university in Georgia. They started a scholarship for a young girl that is going through biology program, the same one my aunt went through and they, they started a scholarship, right? So what we came up with here in Chicago is we came up with Barbecue, which is a charity that we do every single year. And the money goes to one, we do part of it goes to the scholarship for a young girl to go to school and we pay for like their next two years. And then the other part goes to breast cancer research. Each year, I, I get some of my chef friends around from Chicago, you know, Stephanie Iser, the girl in the goat, Zach Engel from uh, Galee. A lot of these great restaurants in Chicago have amazing chefs and they all compete in chicken wings. So they all come to this event with their own chicken wings. We sell tickets. We have a raffle. Last year, we raised around $70,000 that we could give towards breast cancer research and towards this scholarship fund to keep the scholarship going. And it's just something that I've always believed in is like, hey, how can we help give back? Because we've been for so fortunate to have great restaurants that people supported, a products company that people support around the world. So how can we take some of the stuff that we do and give it back to somebody that you know may need some of that support as well? within the breast cancer realm because it's so close to my family. That's amazing. Uh, getting all that money, you know, uh, fundraising all that money and having people go to scholarship and for breast cancer research. It's just a terrific job. I commend you for that. Talk about your, uh, your products. I mean, you said it's all around the world. I mean, you have uh, yeah. all these great products, uh, sauces, rubs. Talk about that. It's just a ter terrific stuff. So when I first opened the restaurant in Chicago in 2010, I started bottling the products, the like sauces that we had from each region and the rubs. And I started bottling them myself in the basement with my kitchen crew, knowing that people, most of the time, even myself, when I would go to barbecue restaurants in the South, if they had a great sauce, I'd want to buy some of it just to take with me so I could eat on my barbecue at home, right? When I was cooking barbecue at home. So that was the, the initial thought process of it. At one point, one of my meat providers had, who provided meat to like the five states around uh, Illinois, you know, Michigan, Indiana, Iowa, Wisconsin, Missouri, he bought a CPG or consumer packaged goods, like high-end retail distributor company. So someone that like sold to the small grocery stores and the butcher shops, uh, you know, people's products. He came to me and said, hey, I'd love to carry your barbecue sauces and distribute to the five states. So I was like, okay. I'm like, what are you talking about? So we kind of worked out a handshake deal about what cases would cost. And then we just started bottling some extra here and there, right? Over time. Well, little did you know, it started to grow. Crate and Barrel, who's a Chicago company, came to us and was like, oh, we'd love to have one of your sauces in the Crate and Barrels. This is like two years into the restaurant in Chicago. So we were bottling all this stuff out of the restaurant until about 2014. And then we realized, hey, this, this thing kind of has some legs. I think we could do something with the product side of the business. Well, in the restaurants is just five of my buddies. And one of them was high-end in sales at a, at a TV company. And he was exhausted and tired of his job. And it's like, listen, I think this thing has some legs. I'm going to do, I'll quit my job and come and do sales. And you can run the restaurants and focus on product creation and quality. 
And I was like, okay. At that point, we realized we kind of need a, a more legit packing company. So we went to a co-manufacturer um, that we worked through all the recipes with. And, you know, as it kind of just kept growing, he kept selling, we kept making, we roll out, we rolled out new products. You know, we have some, a lot of the meats that we have now, we sell to the stands in the Wrigley Field and United Center that are made by our manufacturing companies with our processes and our methods exactly. And it just kind of kept talking about each other. And then now it's grown to, like I mentioned before, you know, it's in 15,000 grocery stores in the U.S. and 29 different countries, which is sometimes to me even still just like mind blowing that like, because I never got in the food business to ever be a grocery store product. Like it just kind of happened and we just kept pushing it and it kept growing. It was never one of these things. I was like, oh, I'm going to go start a barbecue sauce bottle company and just start trying to sell to grocery stores. It just kind of grew out of the restaurant and then started toppling on. It was like a snowball. It just kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we've been fortunate enough that people love our flavor profiles. We did a good job with branding and packaging and we've done pretty well with it so far. And not only that, you also have a brand of potato chips or kettle chips, (laughs) I should say. (laughs) I mean, the whole thing kind of grows out of the restaurant. That's the funny thing is everything, everything that you see on that website started in our restaurant. At one point in 2013, there's a train station downtown where like all the suburb, the metro trains come in from the suburbs. People kind of unload and then they disperse into the loop of Chicago and go to their job for the day. Then they come back, ride the train back. Well, within this train station, they opened a what they called the French market. And it was basically like a food hall with some other shops too. There was like a candle shop, a juice shop, a little grocery store. So we went into that food hall as Lily's Q and we would make the barbecue at the main restaurant. And then we'd truck it down in the morning, put it in the warmers. And then we'd sell lunches to all the people that work in Chicago. Well, down in this food hall, we couldn't have, we didn't have a hood. So we couldn't have any like fries. We couldn't have any fryers to like fry the French fries that we were doing at the restaurant. So we decided to start, frying kettle cooked chips at the restaurant and toast and like tossing them in our own seasonings, whether that be pimento cheese flavor, all kind of Southern flavors that kind of fit our model, hot pepper vinegar. Well, same kind of concept. They started buying our chips out of the stand. We couldn't keep up. So we went and found a co-manufacturer in potato chips. And then we started like, then we would start taking it to grocery as well and saying, Hey, well, if we're going to make them for the restaurants. We might as well try to sell them in grocery. And that's kind of how that little side business got going. And it's one of our, you know, product lines, let's, let's, as we call it. And you can order any of this stuff on lilycues.com. So yep. uh, just go there and go to the uh, shop and you can just pick out what you want and, and order anything you want from there. Yeah. I mean, you can go to lilycues.com. Also on lilycues.com, we have a store locator that if you are looking for a product, you can go on there, search by product. It'll tell you if it is available in any store near you, uh, whether that be, you know, Hy-Vee, Kroger, Albertsons, Fresh Market, Whole Foods, any of those type of stores. It'll tell you if one near you and if it carries that exact product. It's all done by scan data, like the Q, uh, the, the code on the back. Um, so if you, if you don't want to pay for shipping, you can possibly find some of the products near you. Otherwise, you can yeah definitely order lilysq.com and then ship them to you. And Charlie, on the website, you have, uh, it says Southern barbecue made with smotherly love. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, obviously, my grandmother was very influential in me getting into cooking in general and the aspect of she was a traditional Southern grandma. You know, she cooked, we were always eating breakfast with biscuits and gravy and every holiday she was cooking the meals along with my mother and my father and my family. But she was really inspirational and like getting, and she was a very strong woman that she kind of instilled in me family traditions and, and that 
food kind of falls into those family traditions. So that's why the company's named after her, Lily. But it's kind of that like, hey, it's a grandmother. She smothers you. So it's like we we smother you with our love of like our sauces and our products and our barbecue. Gotcha. Here's a, here's a something interesting that I found. You have meat-free offerings. Is that? Yeah. So a company last year. So typically, I'm, I've been a meat eater my whole life. Uh, my birthday meal every year was a, a bone-in ribeye. And obviously, owning a, a, a meat slash you know barbecue restaurant, you're really entrenched in the meat uh, of the world. But two years ago, a company came to me, and their name is Meaty, M-E-A-T-I. And this person had thought of mushroom root, which is, if you think of a mushroom, you got the cap that like rises above the ground, and then you have the root below it, right? So they actually take the root, which is called mycelium. And they've found a process to take this and they kind of make it in like old, like bare, like beer stainless steel tanks. And then they can press it and flavor it into chicken and steak. They come to me and they say, and it it was set up through a friend of mine was like, Hey, I want you to meet this person. They want to talk to you. So they, the the head of marketing comes to my, comes to Lily's key restaurant. We sit down, we have a talk and he's like, listen, we want you to, we want to work with you and do a deal where we can put some, maybe some limited time offers on your menu and it's a non-meat item. And, you know, already, you know, years before that, the beyond meats of the world and all that science food had come out. And I was just, I'm not really interested in that. It's like, first of all, anything made in a lab is can never be as good as something made in nature, in my opinion, for you, in my opinion. But so I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't really serious about this. And then he was like, hey, I'm going to send you some product. We want you to try it. It's completely different than Beyond and all those things. This is actually mushroom root. It's like 95% mushroom root and then the flavorings, but they're all all natural flavorings. I'm like, okay, I'll try it. So I get this chicken patty basically in, in the mail. And, and so I decided to just take it just like my fried chicken and I batter it, my own batter. I fry it and I serve it to my daughter and three of her friends that were at our house for dinner and one of them was a vegetarian. So I was like, Oh, this will be perfect. I'll test it out on them. Well, they couldn't even really tell the difference that it wasn't real chicken. The one girl that was vegetarian was like, this is real chicken. I know it is. I can tell by the texture and everything. (laughs) I'm like, I swear to you, this is not real chicken. So when, when I saw their reaction to it and knowing that in the restaurant world and the food world, you, you have to be like a shark, right? Sharks, if they stop swimming, they die. So we always got to be swimming forward and trying to evolve and find the next things. And I think this could be one of the next things. Their plant-based diets and all of those things are becoming much more popular. So how can I take those things and offer them to my customers that may, why would I want to, if there's a four top or four people coming to my restaurant and three of them want barbecue and one's a vegetarian, why do I not want them to come to my restaurant and try to get that one vegetarian to come and have something to eat as well? So how can I take that and make it the best it can possibly be? So we took the steak one and we made burnt ends out of it. And then we took the chicken one and we fried chicken sandwiches for people out of it. And we offered it as a limited time offer. And crazy enough, it ended up like upper, upper middle of our P mix, which is basically a number of how many of each item sells. So it wasn't the worst seller is what I'm saying. It was in the middle. So then we decided to keep it on our menu because obviously people wanted to try it and they wanted to see if there's something that they, they can do it. And the one thing I love about meaty is 
They weren't coming in with the like, hey, we're here to replace meat and meat's going to go away eventually. They're like, no, we want you just to maybe you eat meaty two or three times a week, which then also helps less meat production, which also helps the environment. So how can we do these things to not necessarily replace meat? Because in my opinion, that's going to if it ever happens, it's going to be a very, very long time from now. Um, and some of the other people were like, no, we're here to replace meat and it's going to go away. It's like, no, like you can't say that to me. I'm a meat guy. Right. <laughs> so, like, so this was an opportunity for me to offer something I did and it, and it was successful. Um, and now it sparks my interest on, okay, how can I take, you know, the live fire cooking techniques and do something with plant-based products, whether that be just plants in general, is it cauliflower? Is it, you know, are we smoking cauliflower steaks now and serving them just to offer something so I can, my job is to get as many customers as I possibly can in my restaurant so that I can pay for my employees. They have opportunities and then obviously pay my own bills that I have. So um, I think it's an arena where I think you can see lots of cool things coming out of. And there's so many different vegetables compared to meat proteins, right? There's hundreds of vegetables and there's only like four or five main proteins. You know, you have a pretty good focus group there with those those kids. Oh my god, it was I couldn't believe it. I was like, "What the heck? Do you guys really think that's a real chicken?" I'm like, "Okay." And the funny thing is, is this texture. This was the I've had some of the other you know meat substitutes, and this was the closest one that I've ever tasted that felt like meat texture. And obviously, you can tell the difference if you're you're an adult. But it was the closest one in texture, flavor, and ease of use, just like meat. And that's why I got attracted and said, okay, I'll get in on this. Let's see how it does. Charlie, we really thank you for your time. I have, I have one more and yep. then uh, we'll, we'll let you go. How are the Cubs going to do this year? You know, I'm, I was, I'm a little disappointed in the off season so far. I thought they were going to make some moves. We lost some players that, you know, obviously went to the Dodgers with a lot of money, but you know, we just made it, we just made a couple trades. And I think last year, I think they were above, they were they hit it out of the park. They were, they were a year ahead of probably where I thought they should be. So this year I have a little bit more expectations. I, I'm hoping we make the playoffs and then maybe get out of the first round or, you know, maybe we just make the playoffs this year and then the next year we can keep continuing to grow on it. But as I said before, even when they suck, Wrigley's awesome. <laughs> so it's always a fun time. And hopefully, hopefully they bring another championship, not in a hundred years from now. Right. <laughs> uh, Charlie, we really like to, uh, again, we appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell us, everybody, where they can find you on all your social media? Yeah, so social media, you got my only social media I do is Instagram. It's underscore C McKenna underscore. And then, obviously, we have a Lily's Q, which is one page. And then, obviously, lilysq.com. You can find us where all our products are. But, yeah, most of our stuff, most of my stuff personally is on Instagram where you can – I have videos on there on how to cook things. And not just straight barbecue. We're using our products in salads and all sorts of stuff. And then we have, you know, all sorts of tutorials and stuff on YouTube and all the stuff. So you can check it all out. But it's it's uh, if you're looking for some way to learn about cooking barbecue or cooking, you know, with our products, you definitely can find it, whether you're on my page, Lily's Q page or the website. Again, we really thank you for your time. And uh, we we hope you have the best of best of its success. Thank you very yeah. much. I appreciate Thank it. When you, you very guys come much, out to Charlie. Chicago, then uh, hook, hit me up and we'll uh, we'll eat some barbecue and maybe catch a Cubs game together. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much, Charlie. Jeff, wow. Episode 225. We've got Trevor May, Charlie McKenna, 
Both were great guests. Both really taught us a lot. Yes, and if you're ever in Chicago, go to a Chicago Cubs game. Check out Lily Q's. Ask yeah. for Charlie McKenna. Wow. You got Philadelphia. You've got Chicago. We've got Kansas City. All these stadiums. That you got Baltimore with barbecue stands. I hope every stadium is going to have some kind of barbecue. Do you ever see that happening, Jeff? Uh, I hope so. Well. I, I hope so. Anyway, we are presented by Bet Online, it is where the game starts. We're not starting. We're ending. A lot of show. Big episode, 225. Jeff, how are we going to end it? With the poet. Shel Krakowski. And the musician. Dave Dresser. And the song. Baseball always brings you home. And we'll see you next week on episode 226. And that's going to be a good one, too.